You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Centers, Pastors Scott and Tina Witwan. Series, well, this is the third part of a series that I've titled The Evil Day. And we're going to continue on uh, talking about some of these things that I think are very biblical, first off, but also very important for us. Because in many ways, I think that the church has lost its historical roots. And I think it's important that we find our center again as the church. And so we're using as our base scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. And it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Father, we thank you that he, in this very day that we live in, that we take a stance for you. We keep on the whole armor of God. Father, we don't take it off for this day being evil. For we never know the time or the place For whence we'll need a shield of faith, or to have our loins girt about with truth, or need our sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And certainly we would never take off our helmet of salvation. And yet we also want to be prepared, having our shoes or our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And forever having in our hearts the lance of prayer in our spirit. Father, as we enter into this day and the challenges and the social norms that that are being attacked, we fight this good fight of faith. We lay hold on the promise. And we give you all the praise, honor, and glory for all that we do in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So let's recap again, and uh, I think it's good to recap each week because there's some people that uh, have missed, you know, a portion of what we're talking about. The neat thing is our people are putting it all online, and it's out there for free, Uh, nothing to buy, nothing to sign up for, and you can catch up with the messages. But uh, let's just recap. We talked about how God looks at His creation, you and I, mankind, differently than than we do, or differently than, than we do from our people or our fleshly standpoint. Amen? He doesn't necessarily look at our economics, our nationality, our skin color, our gender, our education. Be you Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. It makes no difference to Him. We are all one in Christ. Amen? Because God looks through a lens of faith. Jesus was not concerned about offending people with the kingdom and biblical truth. And people will be offended because they have a heart of offense. You know, if if you have or refuse to take up an offense, if you refuse to take it up, you can be just like that Teflon pan you have at home. I've never had butter stick to it one time. Slides right off it. Cook an egg in it, don't even have to put anything in it. It doesn't stick to it, right? 
See, if our lives were like that, when offense comes at us, we just let it slide right off us and pay no mind to it. But people are going to be offended for the word's sake. Unfortunately, we have an example in Jesus that we can follow. We don't go out seeking to offend people. But sometimes truth hurts because it's made for correction. So we looked at our scriptural and historical basis for confronting anti-biblical ideas in our society. We looked at the fact that evil seeks to control thought and speech. We also saw that 95% of the 250 framers of the United States Constitution were Orthodox Christian and outspoken about their faith. So we laid to rest the argument that America was founded as a secular nation. We certainly were founded as a Christian nation. We looked at the federalism and a constitutional republic and how they were closely aligned governments to the biblical pattern. And we are going to continue to talk about biblical topics over these next few weeks. And some may offend some people. Some may be very personal to you. And some may be topics that you thought were off basis. But you know, around the revolution, in the 17 and early 1800s, and the formation of this country, there were pre- preachers like Charles Finley, Lemuel Hayes, Frederick Douglass, Jonas Clark, and George Whitfield, who spoke into society, spoke against the evils of their day, spoke about the righteousness of Christ and the truth of the gospel. Now, I like to get up here and talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I mean, you know that. Now concerning the spiritual. I don't want you to be ignorant. You know how you were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols. I, I just as soon preach on, on the, the, the spiritual empowerments. I'd like to teach on, come up here and teach on God's financial principles every week. And that would be really good. And bury my head in the sand about what's going on around us culturally. And say, well, you know, that's the world, and we should focus just on these spiritual aspects of the Bible. But that's an anti-biblical stance. See, the Bible touches all areas of our society. And this is the basis for what we do. This is the basis for what we share. This is the basis for, for what we build our lives upon. And if the days are becoming evil... What is our responsibilities as followers of Christ and as citizens of this United States? I think the place to begin, again, is the Bible. So go with me to Mark chapter 12, verse 17. The Gospel of Mark chapter 12, verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Render to Caesar the things which are Caesar, and to God the things which are God's. And they marveled at him. Now, I want to be very clear that that Jesus did not say either render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and be involved in that worldly system or get involved in God's things and render to God the things which are God. No, he said and. He says we're to do both. We're supposed to be uh, part of the, the society that we're in, but we're also supposed to be part of a new kingdom 
with a new king and a new set of rules. And Jesus said it was the duty to render to government. That means we're supposed to pay our taxes. Right? We're supposed to do certain governmental things. But we also have a duty to God, which is, means to follow, be followers of Christ, to follow the Word of God. And as long as the prior does not infringe upon the latter, Jesus said, work within it. Did you hear what I said? So it, said, it means as long as government does not infringe upon what God has spoken to us to do, we are to work inside of it, to influence it. Remember that God's desire is that His will, plan, and pattern be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Matthew 6.10, Jesus is praying and says, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Now, last time I checked, that's where we're at, right? Your will be done on earth. But let your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Not compromised. Not affected by changes in culture or social norms. But that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he said this at a time that the Jewish state was under the dictates of Rome. You know, that's why they all thought the Messiah, when he would come back, he would be coming back on a big white stallion, bringing uh, legions of angels and, and creating a new society, taking over, establishing a new Jewish state. But see, Jesus didn't do anything to affect militarily the state. Why? Because he said, hey, render to Caesars the things that are Caesars and things, and then render to, and render to God the things that are God. And as long as Caesar is not restricting, destroying the things of God, work within it. Remember, Rome was pretty smart at this time. They said, hey, we've taken over this Jewish nation area, but instead of having another conflict, let's just create a peace accord, allow them to operate their law over the Jews, allow their rabbis, allow their leadership to have dominion over the Jews, and as long as they didn't infringe upon the rules of Rome, of Caesar, of the councils, then let them operate. Let them have their freedom of religion. In fact, as if you remember, when Jesus was before Pilate, he allowed the Jews to come and bring accusations regarding their religious beliefs for him to judge over. So Jesus said, hey, it's my desire that that the Father's will be done here in earth just as it is in heaven. As long, long as your government is willing to allow that, then live within it. Influence it. Cause it to change. Thomas Jefferson wrote it this way. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. 
And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms for which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evices a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such a government and to provide new guardians for their future society. See, Jefferson looked at this biblically. He looked at the accounts that were in the Bible, and then he looked at it historically. And he says, hey, I can see from this that people are willing to put up with a lot. Even when evils exist, if those evils are tolerable, if those evils allow you to work within the system, then mankind is more prepossessed to keep that evil that they know intact. But he says there comes a point in time when disposition, when tyranny becomes so oppressive that it's not only your right, but it is your duty to change your government. And for any of you who, who are historians, and we're going to touch on some of this, when the founders wrote the Declaration of Independence, our founding document, that is our number one founding document, the Declaration of Independence, inside of the Declaration of Independence, they put 27 different abuses that were being perpetrated upon the colonies for which the King of England would give no redress. In fact, is one of the, one of the, the accounts is that you have frustrated our ability to have, our, um, to have these abuses redressed because you continue to change the location of the meetings without notifying anybody. And that's what, that's what they were doing. I mean, they, they would set to, to hear a matter among the colonies on a certain day. But they may not give notice of it until the day before as to where it would be. So if everybody's in Philadelphia and they say, hey, we're going to do this in Savannah, you couldn't get there in that much time. But they would hold the councils, and of course the opposition would not show up, therefore they couldn't make a case, and they would lose. They said that when such a time comes, it is not only your right, but it is your duty to throw off such governments and to provide for yourselves guards for the future society. Jefferson said it's our duty. Despotism and tyranny is the imposition of one's will over another. It's oppression, it's dictatorship, it's domination, it's totalitarianism, and the like. And it is ungodly. It's ungodly. It diminishes the, the um, inalienable rights of others. It opposes God's plan for mankind. It is the opposite of liberty. It's the opposite of liberty. It's, the, it's what crushes liberty. But I thought it'd be good if we talked some historical biblical examples so that we can see the importance of this. Somebody says, why is this so important? You're talking about the foundation of the United States. Because 
In our founding, 90, remember 95% of the 250 framers of, of this nation were Orthodox Christians, and most of them were outspoken. Many of them had theological degrees. Many of them were, were ordained ministers. Is the answer for the problems that we are facing today. The number one problem that we're facing in America today is the attack on God's first formation or God's first institution, and that's the institution of the family. And we're going to be talking about some of that next week. And if we were living as a righteous nation, the principles, the, the, the founding uh, pillars would be there, but society is in the process of trying to tear down every family institution that there is, and the more they tear it down, the worse things get. We are almost reaching a point of insanity when you look at the things that our government is doing that has failed, and because it has failed so miserably, they think we need to do more of it. Well, more failure does not lead to success. It just leads to more failure. So I want to talk about the account of Moses, because this is a very good, good account when we're looking at the, the formation of the United States of America. And just to give just a, a, a brief uh, explanation or, uh, or history on this, I know you probably remember this a lot from Bible school, but do you remember a guy named Joseph who had a coat of many colors, right? He was one of Jacob's sons. He was a dreamer. Got himself in trouble with his brothers. His brothers sold him into slavery. But God delivered him from slavery and made him a minister. He made him the second in charge in the nation of Egypt. He brought all of his brothers and his family out of, out of Israel and brought them to Egypt because of a severe famine throughout the land. Right? So now they are in Egypt as guests of Egypt. As not only guests of Egypt, they also are politically influential in Egypt. But what happens? Fast forward 430 years. Now a pharaoh has risen up that does not remember Joseph. And the Jewish nation, who had been a very participatory, um, we'll say employees, they were working, they were getting paid, they were part of society, have now become enslaved. Now they're not guests in the land, now they're slaves in the land. So let's go to Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. And it says, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of their bondage. So God heard their groanings, and God remembered His covenant. See, God never forgets His Word, but He never forgets also His Constitution. Right, His Constitution. His Constitution is His framing. It's His framework for life. That's what this is. We call it a, an Old Covenant and a New Covenant, right? But we could also call it God's Constitution. It is His stable framework for life. He, so He never forgot His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So now, God hears the prayers of the Jews and says, tyranny, 
the dispositum, the, 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 this despot king, this pharaoh, has imprisoned my people. And I made a promise to Abraham. And therefore, it is time, not only it is their right of these Jews, but it is their duty now to cast off their government, this Egyptian rule, and to set for themselves new guards. See, this isn't an American plan. The founders didn't just go down to the local pub one day and come up with this idea. No, this was a biblical plan. And God called Moses and said to Moses, Go and tell Pharaoh to set my people free. Well, that's what the, founder, what the founders did in America. They sought redress. They sought correction. They sought a hearing. They sought... The forming of this was over 100 and about 150 years of oppression from, from Britain. And they continued to try to change it. They continued to try to change it. And the oppression became so, so loud. And the cries of the people became before God. And he remembered his covenant to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And gave them the wisdom in order to form a more perfect union. Where all men, where all mankind would be created and acknowledged as being created equal. So the nation of Israel under Moses sought new guards for their future security. And God through Moses led the children of Israel back home to their promised land. And I'm sure that you remember that story from Sunday school. But you know what? If you don't remember, it's right here in the Bible. Amen? Let me also talk a little bit about a biblical figure named Gideon. Gideon is another perfect example that we can look to for the biblical basis for this. So we have to go backtrack a little bit and see how we get to Gideon. So when we're reading in the book of Judges, we see that Deborah, who was the judge of the time of Israel, and she had gone through her trials and, and had set and judged over Israel wisely, her and Barak. But now 40 years pass from the last writing in Judges chapter 5 to the time we get to Judges chapter 6. And you know what it says? It says the children of Israel did evil in the sight of God. What happened? They left this. They left what Joshua told them to do. What did Joshua say? Remember this book of this law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night and observe all that is written in it, and then you'll make your way prosperous and have good success. But no, they started to do evil in the sight of God. They started to worship other gods. And what happened is the Midianites came in and took them over. And for seven years, the Jewish people, the, 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 the nation of Israel, had to hide from the Midianites and the hidden caves and the hidden mountains. And now we come to Judges uh, chapter 6, and we see here in 6.6 6 where it says, So Israel 
was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Why? Because now their captors had brought this tyranny, had had brought evil upon the nation, oppression upon the nation. And in Judges 6.10 it says, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. See, so what did God do? They cried out to God, and just like with Moses, where where God sent a prophet to Pharaoh, God sent a prophet to Israel and said, hey, look, you guys are in bondage because you haven't listened to me. I gave you a promise, but you have rejected it. But God has heard your voice. He's the God of reconciliation. And so then, God sends an angel. In Judges chapter 6, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now you've got to imagine Gideon. Here he is. He, he is threshing wheat in a wine press hiding from the Midianites, trying to stay out of sight to get enough food for his family, the servants, and the, and, and the others in, in their encampment. And here comes an angel and calls him a mighty man of valor. I can tell you that Gideon did not feel like a mighty man of valor. For seven years, they'd felt the oppression of evil leadership. He did not feel like a mighty man of valor. But when he saw himself, when God spoke to him and he saw himself as the deliverance for Israel, God empowered him. And him and the sword of the Lord went and delivered Israel as they sought new guards for their future security. So you see, the founding of America is not something new in which our founding fathers instituted this nation there was a historical basis for putting off the old guards now if you look at modern day let's just look at a little modern day example and then i'll jump on back to the united states in 1917 at the Belfort declaration israel became a jewish state again they had been basically nomads under many different countries rule and oppression And then in May 14, 1948, Israel declared the formation of its new nation. It was supported by President Harry Truman, who recognized this new Jewish state. Israel sought new guards for its future. But what was the common denominator between Moses, Gideon, and the modern-day Jewish state? His name is Yahweh, or yad He is God Almighty, the creator of heavens and earth. See, this was his plan for self-rule, self-determination, the ability to worship freely. That's why he gave mankind free choice. He wasn't looking for more angels. He was looking for a people whose heart could receive his heart. So, We have a modern-day Israel. They put off one government for the formation of another. 
in the United States. Our founders, like Israel, sought new guards for our future security, delivered us a declaration of independence, established a constitution with amendments to protect the rights of the governed and limit the reach of government. Sometimes our government officials need to understand that more, that we are a nation who is governed by the people, for the people. We now stand as guards of our children's future security. And yes, we, the biblical church of Jesus Christ, have a large role to play in that determination. Whether or not this nation will remain as the framers intended, a nation influenced by biblical direction and reliance upon Almighty God. That's, that, that is laid at our feet. That is, sits at our doorstep. So I started with this question. What is our responsibilities as followers of Christ and as citizens of the United States? Romans 13.1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. But I think we've already seen that, the, that, that this cannot mean to never oppose governmental thought. When government stays in its biblical lane, then we should be subject to the laws for which we consented corporately. The problem is when government gets out of its lane and gets into a non-biblical area and tries to usurp the authority of the citizenry. There's no better example than what we saw with the Centers for Disease Control during the COVID outbreak. Unelected people trying to diminish the rights of United States citizens without the act of Congress, which is your voice, is a complete usurpation of authority. It's tyranny in action. God has given three clear stations in life. First is the family. We find that in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And we're going to be talking, starting to talk about that next week. He also gave the station of justice in government. We see that beginning in uh, Genesis chapter 9 with Noah. When he spoke and said to Noah that if a man takes a man's life, a life is required. He began to give judicial laws. The act of government. But there's a third institution that God created, and it's called the church. We see that starting with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We can and will see how the founding documents mirror the biblical pattern in these three areas. And why it's important for us. So here we go, our responsibility. I got just a few things here. First, we need to be historical. Not hysterical. We need to be historical. Because the opposite of that is emotional. And that's what's raging through our society now. Is high waves of emotion that are not based in history or in truth. We need to be historical. It's not what they're teaching in public schools today across the country, because that's not history, or it's a very tainted or slighted. But we need to be people who will defend against these inaccuracies of this tainted history 
And we do so with factual, historical, and biblical accounts. Contrary to the new narrative, this country is the longest standing representative republic in existence. And it is still the greatest nation on the earth with all of its flaws. Number two, we need to be citizens and Christ followers. See, we are called to be in the world system. We're just not called to be of the world system. We are called to be salt, to season others with the founding biblical message of this nation. If you won't season your neighbors or the people that you have influence and contact over, how will they ever become understanding or knowledgeable about the truth? We're also called to be light. To illuminate those whose minds have been shadowed by deception. Shining the light of truth into darkness. Historical and biblical truth. The light needs to be shown. Because they are twisting a narrative that cannot be supported by the facts. We need to be biblical. Number three, we need to be biblical. What does that mean? It means to love your neighbor. Seek their betterment. Live the gospel and be kingdom-minded. Those who do not know Christ are not going to be able to do it. They need you to be the guide, the guard, the framers of the Constitution. Set it up so that each generation would be the guards of the security of the future. And if we stop, if we, if we take too lightly, or if we bury our head in the sand, which the church has done too much of, we turn this society over to this evil day, and it will be our fault. Because we did not do what God has called us to do. And even though there are those who are trying to tear this nation apart, calling evil good and good evil trying to destroy the family and destroy morality. This day may be evil, but we are not to fret. In John 16, it said, These things I have spoken to you, that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. See, God's ways are higher than our ways. That's why they work. So remember, remember who He made you to be, what He empowered you to do. You are no less significant than the framers of this nation. This generation needs your voice, your consistency, your biblical and moral compass, and it needs your love. We can withstand in this evil day. And I want to close with this scripture in 1 John 5, 4. For whoever is born of God overcomes this world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Amen. You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Whitwam. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, Your word says, if I confess you as Lord and Savior, 
and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321. Or by email at info at valorcc.com. That's info at valorcc.com or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85296.